Welcome to Cloud and Clear, the podcast by SADA for innovative business leaders and technology enthusiasts, where we explore how Google Cloud is transforming the industry and what that means to you. Now, here's your host, Tony Safoyan. Well, Jesse, uh, welcome formally to Cloud and Clear. Thanks for reaching out to me and making a connection and I'm glad we got this scheduled. Thanks for having me, and it's a pleasure to meet you. You're involved in a couple of things. Obviously, uh, Tab Geeks, I want to hear all about that. But also, you know, Westland Real Estate, which you've been a part of for a long time, now as a CTO. And um, you kind of pinged me about uh, tr tracking the evolution of this ecosystem, the products, and how, you know, G Suite specifically has sort of um, transformed this 40-year-old uh, organization into uh, the modern era, and I genuinely believe that you know using G Suite is sort of a competitive advantage if you're if you're using it in your organization. I think it creates a kind of um, culture, the kind of collaboration, the kind of speed that it's hard to replicate on other platforms. So tell me about Westland, just big picture. Uh, Westland Real Estate Group is a 40-year-old family-owned and operated uh, real estate company. We own and operate a lot of apartment complexes in uh, Southern California and Nevada. We have somewhere in the area of about 20,000 individual units spread out over, I don't know, 50 or so buildings. And um, one of the challenges that we faced is that we grew tremendously over the last couple of years. We doubled, I think, doubled the company size in the last two or three years. Wow. And at the same time, are transitioning into more of a kind of a corporate mentality, you know, still family friendly, still family focused, but with a proper corporate structure. Whereas for the last 40 years, it was very uh, flat in terms of management structure. It was very mom and pop style. And obviously it worked because we're successful. But uh, now that we have, uh, I think, 500 employees, you know, things need to be scaled up a little differently. Well, what, what led to the decision to make this transition into a more uh, corporate, you know, type of organization? Uh, I ask partly because we've been undergoing that as well as we've mm -hmm. gotten here. Um, but I'm always curious to hear about other other companies making that uh, making that leap. Uh, for us, it was a little bit of a couple of things. One was a sort of passing of the baton where the founder of the company was uh, giving over most of the day-to-day -day operations to his grandson, uh, who happens to be my brother-in-law. Uh, it's my wife's grandfather who started the company. Uh, they actually started out in the carnival business years ago. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, the founder of the business, he uh, was working at a carnival and he was getting better at making deals and was uh, switched into actually booking locations for them to go and uh, and put on a carnival on a weekend or for a week, whatever it was. And after a little while, he said, well, if I'm doing all the work, I may as well get some rides of my own and start out on my own. And so he did. And he had a very successful carnival. He had the uh, California State Fair license for a while. And um, when his kids started to get older, he was, you know, okay, this isn't really the greatest life for my kids. So, you know, there are times are changing a little bit. So he sold that and got out of the carnival game and he was driving around with all this money now from the carnival that he just sold burning a hole in his pocket and he saw a mobile home park and he said oh that looks good and that mobile home park was named westland and that's where the name comes from wow. and over the next 40 some odd years he built it up over time to be you know a multi-state entity we've got uh, commercial space and retail space 
And as he was getting older, it was time to start letting the next, not necessarily the next generation, but uh, G3, as we like to say, uh, mm -hmm. come in and start uh, running things a little bit. I was hired, uh, brought on the company about four years ago to kind of bring a uh, younger, modern, faster moving technology uh, mentality into the business. Um, a lot of the people here are very low tech to almost no tech. So that's yeah. been a serious challenge for us in trying to figure out, okay, well, how do we keep it as simple as possible, but also complex enough to handle all of our large operations? Traditionally, what I know about friends who are in the business, it's it's traditionally just low tech from mm -hmm. what I know or what I've seen. It's like almost deliberate. It's almost like they celebrate the fact that they're low tech. I don't know if because they refuse to want to understand it or uh, because they've had so much success just being the way they are. Like um, there's this resistance to transform, but they wear it almost like a badge of honor. They're like, oh, we're so low tech. Like it's, they brag about being low tech, but there comes a point like uh, probably you 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 either recognize or the organization just got to a point where uh, that seemed maybe not the best strategy. Right. <laughs> it's uh, especially with somebody as uh, or an organization as distributed as ours, because every apartment complex that we have has its own leasing office. That's they're all miniature remote offices. They've got anywhere from two uh, people working in the office all the way up to 10 or 15. And each one of those is its own little network. It's yeah. got, you know, their own internet connection, their own firewall, their own cables running around, their own sets of computers. And what we've been able to do over the last couple of years is to, um, invest in technology and build out the systems that enable them to be operating independently of the big machine or of, you know, the, the mm -hmm. whole company, but benefit from the larger elements, the buying power of the, of the larger company and whatnot. So on the back end, we are doing all the purchasing for all those locations and making the decisions of what they're using. Um, and we handle, as far as my IT team is concerned, we handle all of the tech for all of the sites. Mm -hmm. But on site, they are essentially their own little offices. Yeah, and I think even that the way real estate works, they're their own kind of own LLCs and they have all this other structure, right? But mm -hmm. um, it's almost like a, a retail uh, operation from the standpoint of having all these distributed uh, locations or franchise operation. A lot of our clients that we have are, you know, deal with with that of how do you give them enough autonomy, but give them like all the love and support and infrastructure mm -hmm. to make it as you know, small of a footprint as possible from a tech standpoint, therefore less things can go wrong. No, for sure. Because managing all those like full, you know, like a full infrastructure in all of those locations, that's just very tedious and very expensive. So how can you give them all, all this empowerment without the maintenance? And I guess cloud has a big part to play in that. Yeah. Um, anybody who is has listened to my podcast, which is called Supporting IT Support, and is about exactly this, you know, how to build this out, uh, how to do this type of work at these types of companies, you know, non-major team enterprises, things like that. I'm a big fan of G Suite, which obviously is where the relevance to you comes in. And I've been using Google Apps uh, since, I don't know, when it was just Google Apps Personal in 2008. <laughs> I think, or 2006 or something. And um, I, I brought the business onto Google Apps when it was still Google Apps for work before they went G Suite. And at the time when I joined the company, we were still using 
an Exchange server 2003 and wow. Pentium 4 computers. And we were, um, there was just one IT guy and he was filtering spam by hand. Wow. And the few remote offices that we had at the time, um, if they had a computer that would break, they would just ship it to corporate and it would get fixed or replaced and then shipped back. And you're looking at three or four day turnaround times to get these things done. And it just, it really wasn't sustainable. So three or four days and then like a hundred dollars in shipping costs to work work on a $200, you know, computer that's maybe worth $200 like used, right? Right. So that's the thing is they were actually buying, you know, pretty decent computers, five, six, seven hundred dollar computers. And so they would end up lasting, but you know, you're also, only buying those, they were only buying them at the time for you know the executives. Anybody who wasn't an executive was working mostly on Pentium Four machines. And when I got here, the first thing I did was lift our entire mail operation to G Suite, uh, which was still Google Apps for Work at the time, and replace all of the computers in the company with a minimum of i fives, uh, Dell refurbished computers. You know, they're they're great. The Optiplex machines, uh, the off license hospital contracts, whatever wherever they're from. They're just yeah. they're they're monsters. They'll run forever, and uh, and I mean we were able to get them for about two hundred bucks a computer, and that was practically nothing. So we overhauled yeah. all of that and lifted everything into the cloud, and that's when we started this cloud journey. But as we mentioned before, so many people in this industry are low tech to no tech that everyone was like, all right, well, yeah, sure. You talk about email being out there, and now it's on Google or whatever. But I want Outlook. It's yeah. like you know you're, you're defeating the purpose, my man. I mean, come yeah. on. So slowly, slowly, we've been working people forward and helping them to understand the benefits of using the whole of G Suite as opposed to just, you know, the mail coming into Outlook via the G Suite connector on their computers. And there are some employees who will probably retire before I force them over simply because they're, you know, they're they're older employees and they just don't want to be involved with it at all. I've got my Outlook. I know how it works. I'm going to stick with that. And you know what? That's okay for them. Yeah. Yeah, you, you kind of choose about you know pick your battles, right? Yeah. Um, at the same time, you have a whole generation of people, and we talk about this uh, at mid-market companies and at enterprise companies. Uh, a whole generation of people coming into the workforce have only used Google Apps and G Suite because that's what eighty percent of universities and K through twelve, you know, school school districts have have standardized on. I'm literally my third grader. My, my girl going into third grade is getting issued a Chromebook next year, and that's all she's going to know, you know, yep. like how to use. Um, probably for the foreseeable future, they're just going to, their school runs G Suite. Like, we've done massive school district work uh, at Chicago Public Schools and LA Unified and many others who have set the standard for that in, in the curriculum in terms of tools. And so some people will retire, others will come in that this is totally normal and preferred actually versus yeah. the alternatives. There was a group of interns that we got uh, for this summer. And when they were walking around touring, I bumped into the tour of them uh, in the kitchen uh, or communal kitchen area. And uh, they, they were introduced to me, you know, hi, I'm head of IT, blah, blah, blah. And I said, let me ask you all a question. How many of you have used G Suite, you know, Gmail, Google Docs? And they're like, oh yeah, sure, all the time. Said, how many of you ever, ever? How many of you have ever used Outlook? Yeah. And this girl looks at me and she goes, "What's Outlook?" Yeah. I was like, "Yes, <laughs> success!" Not you know, knocking Microsoft. Outlook is a phenomenal product. Office three sixty five, I'm sure, is great, but we're using G Suite. 
<laughs> no, it, it, it's a good product and competition is good. Um, we've delivered a lot of it in the past, you know, before the, uh, at SADA, before the divestiture. And, um, uh, but, but they really kind of missed the boat on the education market, I think. And, and, you know, I think that's kudos to Google for deploying that strategy 12 years ago, uh, plus to, to really, really, uh, embrace higher education when they were still running, you know, pine Unix mail and it was expensive and complex and Google was giving it away. And now they've, you know, managed to, to seed, you know, something like 80% of the market with, with that technology. And now of course, Chrome also because of its, um, cost and security posture and portability and, um, uh, reusability, I guess, between people, uh, Chrome as sort of the hardware endpoint has also become kind of the status quo. Uh, is that something you guys have looked at? Have you looked at extending to some types of, um, employees in the field like if they're going to get a machine they just get like a, a chromebook uh yeah so unfortunately our other primary system is called yardi they're i believe the largest property management system in the country if not in the world and they still have certain components of their system that uses ssrs and silverlight and um, unfortunately anybody who needs yeah tell me about it Holy cow. <laughs> Silverlight should have never been invented in the first place, but that's besides oh, the point. God. Yeah, so they're still using Silverlight. They're still using SSRS reports in certain places. They're slowly rebuilding the platform to be HTML5 compliant, and they really don't have a choice, especially with Microsoft Edge going Chromium now. Yeah. So I think they've probably all accelerated their timeline now because before, I mean, even Windows 10 still comes with Internet Explorer, but that I'm, I'm literally forced to support Windows machines with Internet Explorer because of what they're using. Um, those who can be lifted off of uh, a Windows system because they're not required to use that, I have started doing that. All of our um, business center kiosks in all of our properties are Chromeboxes, and yeah. those are designed to be set up as a guest session. And as soon as somebody's done, they can either click uh, log out or exit session, which, whichever it is. Uh, or if they forget and they walk away after 10 minutes, it will automatically log out. And upon logout, it wipes everything on the machine so there's no residual data, reboots, and opens into a new session. So those have worked really, really well for that. We're very, very happy with those. Yeah. Um, Almost far, there's like no maintenance, right? It was like that's nothing. the idea. Set it and forget yeah. it. It's wonderful. Um, and then the other systems that we've done, we're looking at our call center now. We're talking about bringing them over uh, to either Chromebooks or just Chrome desktops. Um, my, I just bought a test unit, the the HP 14, the X360 yes. um, Chromebook, which is a beautiful machine. It's full, rotates all the way around, does tablet mode, the whole nine yards. And it has a glass trackpad, which is absolutely fantastic. And it's just Chrome. It's just fast as hell. It's got an i3 processor yeah. and uh, eight, eight gig of RAM or four gig of RAM, I think. And the thing just moves. And so I'm preparing to buy 20 of those for our training center. So even the people that are coming in to be trained on equipment, even if they're going to be using a Windows machine, I'm still training them on Chrome because they're just using the browser anyway. Right. right? 
Um, and for most of what they're training on anyway, they'll, they'll be able to do in Chrome. And anybody who doesn't need Windows, especially as we start looking at paying for Windows 10 upgrades for the whole company towards the end of the year, we're really going to begin evaluating, okay, well, you know, we could just get Chromeboxes for these people. That's fantastic. That, that's a, pre, you know, it's a premium device. I do wish there was more of them uh, that were premium devices in the market. I think it'll, it'll attract uh, more of the sort of executive users, you know, people that like, you know, fast and light and um, attractive machines. I think uh, that's a great, that's a great one to, to push the envelope forward. And of course, we're looking forward to what Google does in the next Pixelbooks as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I and I have, I have a Pixelbook personally. I love it. Oh, I, I love I love mine as well. And I, you know, there's been so many years that it's like it's been about the education, you know, Chrome and education. It's been about oh, Chrome is like you know the inexpensive option, which is true. I mean, you can get a great two three hundred dollar machine that does everything most people need. But I also want when Google to start deploying with its partners like Samsung and HP and others deploying sort of a premium strategy as well. I, I love to, I love to see that. I actually um, believed in the mission and the mentality of the Chrome device from the get-go. I was one of the 60,000 people to receive the original CR48 that yeah, Google sent yeah. out. I remember. I, we had I some. still have it. It's, uh, it's stuck, away, stuck away in storage. One day it'll be worth you know $100,000 or something. <laughs> and uh, I've got the original sticker pack that it came with still in its plastic. You know, that's wow. that's something incredible. And it was it was great. It was a wonderful device. And I don't know what made me qualified to get it because I was like 22 at the time. But I had been beta testing everything for Google and providing feedback. And, you know, I used Google everything. So I guess I'm, I must have been on some list somewhere that they thought yeah. I was worthy to receive one. I, so. bet you, I bet you it still works. Like if you wanted it to. It does. That. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think it'll run the latest Chrome OS, but I, it does still boot. Uh, there's actually a little hardware switch under the battery where that toggles the developer mode. And you can oh, wow. install. I had installed Ubuntu at one point, and and you know it's it's just a great little device. And I was like, this this is the future, and it's it's so cool to have been in the industry long enough and to have been believing in this product and working with this product long enough to see it really take off as a platform and become almost the next generation of computing devices. Yeah, from CR forty eight to Pixelbook, that's a that's a that's a a lot of evolution. And and you know if you look at you know what what Apple's done and what Microsoft's done to some extent, they've kind of now kind of followed that model more like hey i'm going to get over the updates it's going to be clean mm -hmm. a lighter operating system uh, i think google has really pushed the whole operating system uh industry forward with with uh, with the other big players uh but it's amazing to know and understand like how many devices are actually running chrome these days and um uh it's, it's pretty impressive i have a chrome desktop i think it's by who makes this asus or somebody and it's great it's my partner mm -hmm. It's super fast. Um, there's nothing on it. Never breaks. Uh, I was running my Pixelbook as my primary machine, but it doesn't support my four 27-inch 4K monitors. Uh, <laughs> I've I've got the command center. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Of course, um, you have to. Yeah, <laughs> especially with this many remote properties. It's it's really uh, a challenge, but thanks to having everything in G Suite now, I'm actually overhauling our entire file system to move everything into shared drives. And then we built a tool on the back end that uses a Visual Directory software, an online Visual Directory software. We built a, a middleware 
that uh, speaks to the API for G Suite and for the Visual Directory, and then um, automates permissions and information on the profiles based on where, what location the person's at and what seat they're in. So it'll automatically uh, set their signature information correctly for whichever property they're at, and that property's information, website, phone number, hours of operation, extension, wow. things like that. And then automatically also puts them in groups. We put together a complex group structure where the person will be automatically placed into management if they're management or staff if they're staff or leasing if they're leasing. And then those groups are members of the shared drives, and those shared drives are for each of the different individual properties or for you know uh, divisions of those properties mm -hmm. and depending on what level you are for access you'll be placed directly into those groups which are already members of the shared drive so when you show up to your desk you literally already have access to everything you need to access everything and when you onboard new people same workflow happens when you offboard uh, instant yep yeah. Their autumn, their their profile is suspended. They no longer have access. And in that individual directory software, when they're moved into the offboard seat, inside of I think uh, we have it set at five minutes, the system will run, and just like that, the person is suspended and moved into a different organization. When do you think you'll deploy, or have you explored Google Voice yet? So I've been um, testing the Google Voice beta for a while. I've actually got a uh, Polycom OB edition Google Voice desk phone here that I've been playing with, um, which is connected to it. I've got Google Voice on my iPad, my phone. I absolutely love it. And our um, phone system here in the office is based on something called Finality, which is a asterisk-based system that was purchased by NetFortress, or NetFortis, whichever it is. And um, it would appear that they're not particularly interested in investing any further in the on-prem uh, model, as many yeah. of their competitors are. Everybody's lifting it all to the cloud, which makes a ton of sense. And also the reason why we shouldn't be on-prem anymore as well, because all of our offices are reliant upon two or three locations staying online. So if my corporate office, which supports all of our offices in the in the Southern California, LA area, if we go offline, which we do somewhat regularly because the power grid over here is terrible and they need to you know, take the building offline overnight or they need, you know, some, a transformer exploded like it did a couple of weeks ago or somebody ran into the pole, like things just keep happening that we're losing power and everything goes offline, which means that all of the office's phone systems that rely upon us in this area also go offline. The same is true for the entirety of Vegas, goes through one location in Vegas. So yeah. we tried to build in redundancy, but you can't easily shift to the different phone servers. So I went to my boss, uh, the CEO, a little while ago, and I said, look, here's the argument, exactly what I just described to you. We cannot bring down more than, uh, it's two th Vegas is two thirds of our operation approximately. You can't bring down an entire, you know, that much of the company because one property is having internet issues, which happens. Yes. And that's basically like, yes, it's going to cost us an extra $60,000, $70,000 a year. But you know what? You're also going to have your offices be able to continue doing their jobs. And we, you know, back and forth for a while and whatever. And I'm, I'm negotiating with Google Voice and uh, evaluating their system. It's not. 100% fully baked to where even Google, I think, wants it to go. Um, it looks like they've got just the base pieces out there. And it will work, but the problem for us is that it's such a dramatic shift from the classic desk phone with a dialer on the desktop 
and a directory built in that it's going to require a complete retraining of everybody. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean I'm not going to do it. <laughs> it's just going to be one hell of a challenge in order to get it done. Um, and we are looking and evaluating uh, some of the other big ones, Dialpad, uh, Ring Central, um, uh, some of the others as well. Um, but I personally love the idea of Google Voice simply because it's so, like everything else, Google, it's deeply integrated and, and it is, it's Google. So, you know, my Google Home or my Google Mini on my desk is able to tell me when my next appointment is. And then my Chromebook should be able to, you know, at some point just pop something up and say, hey, go into this meeting. And you say, yes, go into this meeting. Or, you know, even the, the Logitech tap, uh, uh, tablet that they're rolling out, which goes with their, um, the, well, I, I think it's independent of the rally conferencing system, but it's, it can be used in cooperation with it, but essentially you just walk into the room. And as long as you've reserved that room on your event, you literally just tap on the screen and boom, you're in, you're in your meeting. The level of integration across Google is phenomenal and it's only getting better. So if we can expect that same kind of, uh, deep level integration and data sharing amongst the different products with Google Voice, then it's almost a no-brainer for us to go that way. It's it's going to happen. I know that what happened just historically, because uh, we were obviously tracking the evolution of Google Voice originally when you know the Grand Central acquisition happened. They were working on an enterprise product five six years ago. Then they stopped to put all the emphasis on Google Plus and all the engineering went to Google Plus. Oh. Yeah, and then uh, and then uh, that team left and founded Dialpad or Uber Conference and Dialpad. Yep. And now finally they're you know they're bringing it back. But I know that their ambitions are to be you know kind of what Skype for Business was you know working on with, with Microsoft like that. PBX in the cloud is a problem that you know a lot of third parties have, are doing now really well because the the whole space was left open by the incumbents you know Cisco and others kind of their eyes off the ball. So Ring Central, Vonage, and others have um, eight by eight, but uh, they see it as an opportunity to, to have that kind of integrated experience all native. That being said, some of those third parties um, also do a good job of integrating with, with G Suite and Google Apps. So you have a lot of options. Yeah, for sure. And I actually had uh, Grand Central back in the day. I thought it was the coolest thing that I could, <laughs> you know, that I, I had my business and I was, show you how, how young I actually am. I was in high school at the time and I had um, a business manufacturing cell phones out of China and uh, we, were, we were building customizable cell phones and I was able to have different phone numbers on my phone while only paying for the one line and that was through right. Grand Central and it was amazing. Right. And, uh, and then Google bought them and I got all excited and now it's 10 years later and I'm still waiting. Yeah. <laughs> They kind of took the, they they uh they forgot about it for a while, but now now it's back. Um, what what's the best way you can describe maybe the culture shift that has taken place? Obviously, all the tech infrastructure simplification that's all tremendously important, and and it's no longer a barrier to to your growth, right? Just setting up a new when you when you're when when Westland makes a new acquisition, like it's it's relatively easy for you to to, to set that up from your your you know work streams but like you were there when they were on the old stuff you were the one who cha who championed this migration to this platform at the same time as an organization is becoming more professional you know passing the torch so to speak from a leadership standpoint but what's the what's likely cultural impact or the strategic impact of being on um 
on G Suite? How would you characterize that? It's a complete, as you said, culture shift. It's a, it's a complete change in mentality because you go from this idea of everything being centered around your desk and you have to be anchored to your desk. You've got a desk phone, you have desktop chat, you have you know your applications are on your desktop to, okay, I could be walking from one meeting to another and fire off a response to a question from my team without having to go back to my desk because I knew it was even there. Or I can take a phone call even if I have to step out of the office for a minute. Or for our leasing agents, they can be out showing the property. They can pick up their cell phone and make a phone call from their office phone on their cell phone. Yeah. And their workflow is not disrupted by the fact that they're not at their desk. And for a lot of people here, they're really having trouble with that because they don't want work penetrating into their personal lives. <laughs> what do you mean? It's my phone. Yes, well, I will pay you to use your phone. Yeah, but it's my phone. Right. And I've had these arguments with people, and it's, and it's a complete change of mentality. Even if you look at going from a desktop phone to Google Voice, you're not even, you don't need the, the phone anymore, the physical right. phone component. It just pops up in your browser. Yeah. And so, you know, getting people to that point and helping them to understand that the benefits vastly and drastically outweigh their concerns and how we're addressing their own privacy and their own concerns and how it's only our information is on their phones and it's protected in our own little bubble of security and things like oh. that, you know, kind of helps them to understand. And I've had to get uh, creative in breaking down kind of how that's done and to get rid of all of the technical jargon that I'm really good at. And uh, yeah. I actually, I've, I've, I like to joke that I was having a conversation with uh, my communications guy who, like I said before, family run, family, family owned, family run company, my communications and networks guy is my father-in-law. Yeah. So uh, the, um, we were having a conversation with somebody else in the room and we uh, were talking about something having to do with one of our deployments. And I said a sentence to him and every word in that sentence other than the or and were acronyms, tech acronyms. <laughs> and I look over at the other person, they're just looking at me like I'm from Mars. And I'm like, wow, you have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? And so, you know, you really have to remember that we actually have our own language and communicating to people in a way that they're going to understand is, is a skill. It's like learning another language is how to really? translate that through. Um, and, and there's some great things that are out there, I'm blanking on it right now, um, a resource that Google, one of Google's divisions created, you know, one of their uh, X Labs divisions created, it's the, uh, was it sidewaysdictionary.com, I think, have you heard of that one? <laughs> sidewaysdictionary.com, if I'm remembering that correctly, I'm trying to look it up here, um, gives incredible definitions in normal speak, you know, analogies to what technical products are, VPNs or VoIP calling or things like that. Um, and it's not built out, you know, enormously. It doesn't have every definition that we have uh, or every word that we have, but it uses analogies in, in, instead of definitions. Um, and I just, I've, I found that to be quite entertaining and, and quite helpful. Uh, just as an example, for two-factor authentication, it says it's like Cinderella's slipper. She can give her name and confirm where she was before midnight, but only when it, the slipper actually fits that the prince knows that she's the real one. And so he was he was the first adopter of two-factor authentication, right? Like people get that, you know? Exactly. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I, I think we used to be able to get away with that. Um, it made us feel smart to just kind of be above people's heads and, like mm -hmm. our industry changing, right? Like to, to be super geeky and use our acronyms, but unless we're able to appeal to like normal people and plain plain speak, then 
we can't really in implement the culture shift that we want. Yeah, there is still uh, situations where it is appropriate to say that the reason that their computer isn't printing today because is because their monitor doesn't have the correct amount of teraflops to get it done. Like, you know, you just want to throw out those terms once in a while. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's fantastic. Uh, what else are you guys exploring? Are you doing anything on, on Google Cloud Platform yet? Like, what other parts of, I mean, you're like, you know, halfway into all of what's possible with Google Cloud, but what, what about Google, you know, GCP? So we have the middleware that I mentioned before is running on GCP, um, but that's pretty much all we've done in terms of growing into uh, that side of um, Google Cloud. We don't have any developers on staff. The developer that we had was, again, a family member um, who was an intern over the summer and um, what wanted to offer his development services uh, to the company for free to get some experience or, I mean, he was paid uh, minimum wage, but essentially not like hiring a developer because he was in college. And so uh, he went around to the different departments in the company and I actually had an idea and a dream to build out this integration um, software. And after he went around to the different departments, he decided that that was the best use of his time. And so he wanted to work with us to build that out. So we had him on staff for, for that project. But beyond that, none of us here are developers. We're administrators, we're, you know, we're tech guys, um, we're hackers, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Security is a focus of mine. You know, it's, it, we're, not, we're not really developers. The only, the only kind of code that we're dealing with on a regular basis is SQL queries from time to time. Um, so, you know, that remains to be seen. Um, I started looking at uh, Google BigQuery for uh, some of our marketing data because yeah. we've got you know a lot of data and putting automations in place to create a dashboard and kind of give us better actionable intelligence based on that information is going to be quite useful moving into the into the next generation of marketing. Our marketing department is probably our most forward thinking department as far as uh, building out systems and using modern technology goes. And they encompass our training center and our call center, which is why both of those are preparing to get overhauled um, and, and all with brand new technology. Uh, obviously within reason, unfortunately I don't have an unlimited budget to throw at that, but yeah. it's, uh, it's, they're, they're the ones that are saying, okay, $75 a head for a call center rep is not a lot of money. Whereas right now I'm paying $8 per head for their existing system. So, right. you know, <laughs> all right. So, so tell me about, um, you're doing all this, but you had this passion, uh, that you kind of, I think, you know, through your experiences, you kind of lived through and it was something that, um, you felt like you had to contribute to the ecosystem around. And so tab geeks was born. So tell me about, tell me about tab geeks. Yeah. So that tab geeks got started, uh, because I got pissed off, honestly. <laughs> um, Tab Geeks at, at is what? what? At, at what? I got pissed off at the lack of learning opportunities for kind of mid-level company IT support professionals like myself. Mm -hmm. And I was going to Google meetups for Google Apps for Work at the time. And that was when they were doing it at Tech Corners. There were only 400 people that are allowed to come because it was a small space and it just was not getting the focus that I know that Google can give to it. And then it got rolled into Google Next and basically just gets eaten by the entire GCP yes. monstrosity, right? I've, I firmly believe that G Suite needs its own conference, but that's an argument for another time. <laughs> but 
it was four years ago that I started thinking, okay, well, you know, I have a lot of information that I get out of these uh, Google meetups. And I have a lot of information that I learned because I'm a tinkerer. I'm always experimenting. I do like sharing it with people, but I don't have a network of these people. And I don't have somewhere that I can go where I can easily share this information or learn from others and work with the community. And so I was going to start a, a bunch of G Suite meetups. And as I continued thinking about it, I realized that it's not just G Suite. It's yeah. the industry as a whole. There were no events or conferences even out there that weren't massively uh, vendor focused, no offense to the vendors, yeah. uh, that were not specifically pitching things or put on by another company that was trying to sell you things. And most IT people go to these events or don't go to these events because of this, or they go to these events and they just get um, you know, nonstop bombarded with product pitches when really they want to learn. And that's what this was born out of. I said, okay, well, you know, my wife and I were sitting on the plane, we were having a conversation about this, and I was, I was kind of venting about how frustrated I was that there was nothing else out there. And she said, well, why don't you do it? I was like, <laughs> wait, wait, really? <laughs> so I'm, I, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I had my own company fixing computers when I was in high school. I mentioned building and manufacturing uh, cell phones in China when I was in high school. I've been, you know, building businesses, none of them terrifically successful um, yet, but it's, it's something that's always been a passion of mine and giving back to the community and helping build this out. All of a sudden my brain just took off. Like it was on fire. This is incredible. This is, we can build a resource and a community where it will be specifically for this demographic of people where they don't have dedicated cybersecurity teams. They don't have multi-million dollar budgets. They don't have server farms. They mm. have two or three racks of servers. Right. They have, you know, three or four or five hundred users or a thousand or two thousand users, but they're not a big massive international, you know, corporation. Or but they're not are, are no no smaller, right? Like you guys are, are tasked to do the kinds of things, probably arguably more with mm -hmm. less all the time and in, in competitive markets. And never appreciated uh, for any of it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think you're right. Like as 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 much as we've kind of evolved over time um in our and in, in gone to different conferences and been part of different ecosystems like i totally agree that the mid-market thought leadership space um needs some help it almost, it almost so, got left behind and yeah. as you were saying before is the you know the mentality and, and i've said this in in my podcast as well is that the mentality of how it should operate with uh, other organization within the organization rather is completely different than 10 or 15 or 20 years ago where now the heads of IT at various companies need to have a seat at the table. They need to be involved yeah. in planning. They need yeah. to be involved in execution. They need to be advised. They need to be advisors and, and get advice and uh, speak with the other departments. They need to know what's going on. If you're not having regular meetings with every department head in your company, you need to be. Right. If you yeah. can't get into that executive meeting, either you need to uh, figure out if there's a way that you can get into or start having your own meetings, which is what I've done. And so what Tab Geek stands for, it literally is tech and business because IT now exists at the intersection of technology and business. You can't have one without the other. You need them both. And we're designing it so that all of the sessions are sponsor free. There's never a sponsor up on stage talking about their product. It's always knowledge uh, experts that really want to share their information. And our online Slack community is also sponsor free and no assholery allowed, which is what I like to say. 
because <laughs> some people get a little judgy when talking about, well, you know, why didn't you just do it this way, right? That's not cool. Um, and then we also, we have the podcast called Supporting IT Support. It's on all the major platforms. It's a weekly podcast that I put out where I interview um, IT people at other at other large companies, or I most recently just interviewed the deputy CIO of the city of Los Angeles, and, and that episode's coming out uh, next week. And that was really, really fascinating. Um, but the idea is also like, I, I'm saying sponsor free, sponsor free, sponsor free, but that's not the answer either. And so we work to find this happy medium where you can have sponsors because when we go to conferences, we do want to discover yeah. other providers. We do want to learn about what's out there. We don't want it shoved down our throats. So having you know the sponsors, because we're smaller events, you know, 100, 200 people maximum, we get the sponsors to actually attend our social hours, to attend our after parties. And because they're smaller events, everybody gets to meet everybody and do networking with everybody. But in that same, um, in that same path, you also get to build a relationship with a potential partner. Yeah. And sorry about that. You get to build a relationship with this potential partner. There's my Google voice phone. Sorry about that. You get to build a relationship with a potential partner that this sponsor is there. So it's it's actually more valuable for the sponsors to come to our event and to do it our way because instead of just throwing your business cards around, you actually can talk to each individual person one-on-one -on -one and say, okay, what do you need? How can we help you? And what we've been able to show from the contracts that actually have been gotten by sponsors of our events is that these contracts end up being far more valuable and far more lucrative, even down the road two or three years later, because they remember that connection. They call this guy up. They say, hey, so-and-so, hey, Tony, you know, I'm looking at buying X, Y, and Z. I remember we met at Tab Geeks three years ago. And yeah. you've got that starting point. So it's more, you know, building, focusing on building the relationship and actually having an ongoing one-on-one -on -one instead of just getting it out there. And that's kind of what we've been about, and that's what we're doing. And uh and as you can see, I'm all fired up and excited about it. <laughs> no, I, I love that you're doing it. I love that you take matters into your own hands. Your your wife your wife is wise. Um, yeah, so we're a husband and wife team. My wife runs the day to day operations, logistics, and uh, and the back end planning and things like that. I'm the people person, so I go out and engage on social media and on uh, you know all the on Twitter, on Facebook, LinkedIn, and then I also go to lots of events. I do a lot of networking, and my formula is fairly simple. I go to events or uh, attend online seminars and things, and I identify who is an excellent speaker, and I walk up at, uh, to them after the event, right after they get off stage, uh, almost like an ambush, and I say, you were phenomenal. Come speak for me. And that's <laughs> how I got Miles, your new CTO, to, uh, to, that's how I met him in the first place, is that I saw him speak at the Google Launch LA, uh, Google Cloud LA launch, yeah, and yeah. he, he was mind-blowing. He was incredible. And I was like, oh, my God, I need this guy. In the end, because he was coming to you guys, I think, <laughs> because of scheduling, uh, he wasn't able to to attend, and somebody else came in his place who was very good. But this year, this year we're getting Miles. All right. Well, <laughs> we'll try. Both of us will try. He's, like, the busiest person right now. He's, he went to Toronto, and now he's in Chicago. But, um, but, but we'll see. I mean, I'd love to find out more. I think we're going to uh, – I'm going to talk on your podcast and, uh, you know – us being based where we are and, and, and you not too far from here, I think we'll, uh, we'll definitely um, work to make it happen. Uh, but I want to thank you for doing this, Caught and Clear. Um, this will be out in a thank few you. weeks, but, and I'm looking forward to coming in and being, uh, you know, 
reversing roles and being interviewed by you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, we're, we're a small but growing organization. And uh, it's all about exactly that. It's just sharing information and helping to grow this wonderful community where people can literally go from knowing nothing to being community taught and getting jobs a year later at an entry level doing help desk and then working their way up from there and, and helping to, to mentor those people and to build that up. I think it's an incredible community and I absolutely love it. Thank you so much, Jesse. Great to meet you. Please do stay in touch. Yeah, definitely. I want to hear more about your uh, family business operations over there. So. All right. <laughs> we'll talk soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Cloud and Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.